This morning, I want to come back to a series we've been doing. Uh, we had a little break from it, but uh, we're doing a series on the times and the seasons from Ecclesiastes. And, you know, just kind of looking at how God has a time and a season for everything He wants to do in the earth, in His church, and in our lives. And so often the key to, you know, doing well and being successful and, you know, walking in a, in a good way in the blessing of the Lord is recognizing the season we're in and what God wants to do. Because as we've looked, there's a season for many different things, and sometimes they're complete opposites. In fact, we're going to look at some that are just complete opposites. And if we're focused on the wrong one, then we're missing out on what God wants to do. And so let's look at another comparison, another couple here. And this week, we're going to look at a single verse that contains two comparisons that are very similar. And this is in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 6. It says, there's a time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. Now, you can't get more opposite than that. right? There's a time to get something, to receive, to increase and to grow. And there's also a time to lose something, to, to not have it, to have to give it up, to let go of something. But how, how often do we like the one and not the other? Right? The problem is, is if God's saying it's a season to lose and we're trying to hold on to things and keep a grip on it, well, we're just going to get frustrated and we're not going to allow God to accomplish what he wants to do in, our, in, in us. But of course, if we, he also is trying to give us something and we're saying, no, 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 Lord, I don't want that. In, in Bible school, we used to joke about that song, Lord, don't send me to Africa. I still sing that today. No, no, I'm just kidding. We haven't been to Africa yet, but I'm, we put that in the Lord's hands. But you know, sometimes, Lord, don't send me there. Don't ask me to do that. God says, I want to give you something. I want to give you a blessing, but your Lord, I want to cast that away. You see, there's value in recognizing the season that we're in. But also, you know, something, especially in this specific comparison here, we need to recognize and to understand the value of what God's trying to do. Because he has something valuable he wants to accomplish in our lives. And until we recognize and, and acknowledge what is valuable in life and in eternity, it can be hard to flow with these seasons because we, we say, Lord, is it worth it to have to go through this season of letting go and giving up? And when I want, I want to do something and you're saying, give that up, is it worth it? Well, if it's not, then we know what the outcome is going to be. We're going to do what we want to do. But if we can understand the value of what God is trying to accomplish in our lives in the, from his perspective, but in eternity, so often he's trying to do something eternal, something we will have in our life, in our character, or maybe in our eternal reward. We'll have that forever and ever. A million years from now, we'll be saying, I'm so glad I obeyed the Lord and I did that thing and I followed him in that way and I you know, responded to him in that situation. But, you know, we're only going to do that when we recognize it's valuable 
it's worth it to let God do what he wants to do in his season. And this is something that can only be revealed by God. It's something we have to say, Lord, help me to, to, to have that recognition of, your, of that value of what you want to do in my life and help me to see that it goes so far beyond the time now and into eternity. Now, we looked at uh, the, the first phrase, a time to get, a time to get. Uh, that's the King James. The New King James says a time to gain. And really, that's what this life is about. It's an opportunity to gain eternal substance. To, to, it's an opportunity to live by faith. Right? We're not going to need to live by faith in heaven. Right? Because God's there. <laughs> We're going to hear him and see him with our eyes. But Jesus said, blessed are those who do not see, but still believe. This life is an opportunity to receive faith, to grow in faith, to store up a rich reward because of our faithfulness in heaven. It's a time to receive the wonderful things of his kingdom. You know, there's a story I've shared many times here, but you know, and people have been blessed all over the world from this illustration. But there's a young girl who had a dream one night and she was taken into heaven and she was taken around by an angel and we're showing her different mansions, different beautiful houses in heaven. And uh, she came to a very nice mansion. And the angel said, this is the house of your father. So, ooh, that's a very nice house. Then they went on and they showed another mansion. And that was, and the angel said, this is the mansion of your mother. It wasn't as developed yet because she still had a long time to, to, to live on earth. And then the angel said, well, I'll take you to another place. And came and it was just a pile of, a little sparse pile of building materials in an empty lot. And the angel said, this is your mansion. And she said, well, why is my mansion like this? And my dad's is really nice. And the angel said something she's never, that she did not forget. He said, you have not sent up much building material to us yet. You know, she had not recognized the value of walking with the Lord to that point as her parents had. But she did after that. And that's been shared, you know, many times in many places because God wants us to recognize the value of serving him that there is a reward in heaven for following him, for walking in the way of faith and the way that is shown to us in the scriptures of the saints of old who paid a big price to walk in the way of faith. Sometimes there's a price. Quite often there is a price to, to follow Christ and follow the lamb wherever he leads us. And so we have to, to focus on, Lord, I want to receive, not just to be rich in heaven, but I want to receive what you want to give to me. God desires to bless us, not just in this life, but he wants to bless us for all eternity with the blessings of his kingdom, the riches of his kingdom. But there's another aspect we can look at this because other translations uh, of the Bible or other versions of the Bible, they translate this word, uh, a time to gain, as a time to seek. That gives a little bit different context, doesn't it? There's a time to seek and a time to lose. That's what the ESV actually says. And so I, I think we can understand with this is that the first step 
in understanding the value of serving God and allowing him to work in his different seasons in our lives is saying, Lord, I'm just seeking you. Lord, open my eyes so that I can understand what you're trying to do in this season of my life, in, in this specific time period, you want to accomplish something in me or you want to accomplish something through me. Lord, I'm seeking you that I can understand that and that I can flow with it. There's a story someone shared, and I'm not sure that it's real. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not, but it's more of an allegory. And so the story is this. It's, it's a, a rich man uh, comes to the gates of the city of the New Jerusalem, and he was carrying a suitcase. And the angel told him, uh, why are you carrying a suitcase into the, into the city? Uh, you know, from your previous life. And the man claimed, oh, I was given special permission and you know, that I could bring this in. And the angel uh, replied, oh, really? Is it, well, what is it that's so important that you want to bring in to the New Jerusalem? You know, to, and that man said, well, I have a suitcase full of gold. And the angel looked at him and kind of with a puzzling, uh, funny look, and he said, well, why would you want to bring a suitcase full of pavement in, into the New Jerusalem, into the, into the heaven? You know, because the streets of the New Jerusalem are paved with gold, as it says in Revelation 21. But that, that story, while a bit silly, is kind of an illustration how even, even the saved and the redeemed can focus on the things of this life instead of seeking for the things of eternity. Because our, our, we have two natural eyes that don't see in eternity, but we see what's around us. And it's so easy to get focused upon what is around us and to seek those things and to fail to see the value of what God is trying to offer to us for eternity, tried to give to us. And so we can get distracted by the things of this world, even good things. Sometimes we can get distracted by things that are good, but if it conflicts with what God is trying to do in our lives in this season, well, that can be a tragedy because we can, it can cause us to miss what he wants to do within us. You know, the only way to obtain eternal treasure is when we follow the Lamb, the leading of the Holy Spirit to do those things that please him. And so we must start by seeking him, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, that was what the Apostle Paul asked the Lord when he met him on the Damascus Road, those two questions, Lord, who are you? But then he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we want to ask that question all of our lives in every season. Lord, what do you want me to do? And what are you trying to do in me? So that I can flow with that in this season. And so there's a time to gain, a time to seek, to receive from God. But, you know, there's another aspect of this or a contrast is there's a time to lose. And you know, in, when we realize what matters in life and in the kingdom of God, there may be things that we have to then give up. Then say, well, you know, it's not worth seeking this because God wants to give me something else. He wants to do something specific in my life. And, you know, sometimes we've got to give up most things in, in that sense of pursuing God. Anything that's going to 
hinder us or prevent us from pursuing God. We, we lay that down to say, Lord, I want to serve you. Now, there's a famous quote that I think summarizes uh, these comparisons very well. In fact, I kind of incorporated it into the title of the message. The title is, To Gain What We Cannot Lose. And, you know, it's a quote by Jim Elliott. He was a missionary uh, to, who ended up giving up his life and uh, died ministering to the Harani, I think I'm saying it wrong, Haroani tribe in Ecuador. And this is, this is the quote, and I've got it up on the slide here. It says, Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, the wise in life realize that, you know, there's things in this life we can gain that are nice, but they'll do us no good in eternity. And so the wise, that what they do is they have a very light grip on those things so that when God says it's time to let go, it's an easy thing to do. And, you know, for Jim Elliott, he saw value in giving his life to what God called him to do, to be a missionary. And so he gave up, you know, he had plans. He was actually, I was reading about a little bit about him. He, he was a very good orator. People wanted him actually to go into politics or, or become a famous preacher in America or something. But he felt the call to South America. And he responded to that. And, you know, even though his ministry was short, it impacted a lot of people as they read about how he gave his life to, for, for that tribe. And then, you know, the, I don't know if it was his family or the, uh, the friends of some of his associates there continuing ministered and, and converted those who took their lives. And so it's a marvelous story. But he gave himself to the work of the Lord, and he had to give up a lot to do it. But what glory was achieved through that? Now, sometimes... It's a choice. At other times, God takes us through a season and, you know, we just have to live with it. We just have to deal with it and we have to respond to it in the right way. One, one example of that is Naomi. Remember Naomi from the book of Ruth? Right? Her husband said, we're moving to Moab. I don't know if she had much of a choice in that. And so they go to Moab, Moab Naomi, her husband and two sons. But of course, in as we read in the process of time, the, the father died, then one son died, then the other son died. And so there, here is Naomi left alone just with the, the daughter-in-laws that had married her two sons. She felt very barren. You know, she basically, she said, I went out full, but I came back empty. You know, she had lost everything and she came back to Judah feeling very barren. But, you know, sometimes God uses these seasons of, of barrenness to produce extraordinary fruit. Some of the greatest individuals in Scripture, you know, you can look at, at their lineage or even just their parents. And uh, sometimes they were born of mothers who experienced times of barrenness. But then when they continued on and they were faithful, they produced a son of promise. It almost seems as if in the church as a whole, you know, there's a bit of barrenness in the sense of seeing the power of God move and, you know, his spirit coming and flowing and people being hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But we're looking for that. 
And we're holding on to faith that God is going to move in a way that's going to get people's attention. Not having to just have fun things to attract them, but it's going to be the spirit and the power of God that's going to attract them. But sometimes there's seasons that we have to endure and we have to look to God and be faithful to do what he's calling us to do in that season. Now the third comparison we're going to look at I'm going, to keep, I'm going to keep looking at the negative here. There's a time to lose, but there's also a time to cast away. There's a time that when we realize the value of what God is offering to us, you know, sometimes there's an action on our part that we have to cast. We throw. We get rid of it. You know, there's an action in our response to when God is telling us to do something or indicating us, we say, okay, Lord, I'm getting rid of that and I'm following you. Sometimes it, it's a very small reaction in comparison to what God is, wants to do, but you know, it's not insignificant. It's important. I think this is illustrated so vividly in the story of uh, the man named Blind Bartimaeus in the book of uh, Mark, Mark chapter 10. And so Bartimaeus, is, he's a blind man who sat outside the city of Jericho begging because when you were blind in those days, there wasn't a lot you can do. There wasn't a lot of, you know, services for those who were blind. You just, all you could do was beg. And so he was begging and one day he heard a commotion. And I don't know if someone said, it's Jesus. And that caught his attention because he had faith in his heart that if he could get the attention of Jesus, that Jesus could heal him. And so he started shouting and crying out, Jesus, son of David, had mercy on me. Of course, for those who said, Shh, Jesus is coming, be quiet. You know, we, we want to see what he says. But that just made him shout louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him and called him over. And I love what it says in Mark 10, verse 50. It says, Bartimaeus, it says, He, casting away his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will you, what wilt thou that I should do unto, unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus in the way. There's some remarkable statements in those passages. First, is that, that phrase, it says, He, as soon as he was called, he got up and he threw his garment away. Now that's pretty significant in New Testament days. You know, we can open our closets and we have all these nice different garments that we can choose from. You know, you can go to the store and buy a shirt for $10 or well, maybe, maybe it's more than $10, but, you know, it's pretty accessible. But back then, if you got a garment, you were rich if you had more than one. You know, so him throwing away his garment, and it was the garment of a beggar. You know, they would have recognized he's a beggar because he's wearing that garment, usually probably tattered and, and so forth. And, but the first thing he did when, when Jesus called him, he threw that away because he knew his life was about to change. He had faith that a change was going to take place. But that garment was his natural protection, his natural security. 
if he got rid of that and lost it, you know, he would have been cold and so forth. It would have been a, uh, he would have been making a mistake just from the natural. But there was no mistake for him in drawing near to God. And he knew, I'm getting rid of this because God is doing something new. You know, often in responding to God, there has to be a casting away for us to draw near. Sometimes we have to cast away, you know, the fear or cast away the worry or the what ifs. Oh, what if I'm asked, this thing I'm asking of God is too big? Or, you know, what if I'm going to do something wrong or say the wrong thing? Or, you know, what if this happens if I'm trying to believe and walk by faith or so forth? Sometimes we have to cast away what is familiar, what makes us feel secure, or what ties us to the past because God wants to do something new today. What's comfortable? What will give us natural assurance because God wants to stretch us and do something new in our lives? And that's not always comfortable. But Bartimaeus was willing to cast away whatever it took so that he could receive a miracle from God something new. He had that faith. And so, of course, he cried out. He wasn't going to let this opportunity pass. He sought the Lord and cried out until God heard him and beckoned him. And he was healed. And not just that, but he had a new road to walk on now because now he wasn't a beggar. He was a disciple and he followed Jesus in the way. His life was changed, but also his eternity was changed. He walked on the pathway of faith, but there was that casting away. And so sometimes to meet God in this season, it's a season of casting away. You know, of course, we don't just throw everything away, give it, give, you know, sell everything we have and say, okay, Lord, here I am. We, we seek Lord, Lord, what do you want me to give up? so that I can receive something new from you. But then, you know, it can totally be the opposite in a season. Because there's a time to cast away, but there's also a time to keep. There's a time to hold on. And that Hebrew word for keep, it means to keep, to guard, or to watch with diligence. And so there's a season when we need to focus on keeping what we have keeping what we've been given. You know, when something, someone has something of value, they're going to protect it, right? You're going to keep an eye on it. When I'm, in the, when I'm at the airport, I'm always amazed when I see someone leave their bag for their seat and walk off and go buy a hamburger or a drink and their bag's just sitting there. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. If I lost my bag, my trip would be over. <laughs> I would not be a happy flyer. You know, so my bag is I'm usually having two eyes on it, you know, or I got my hand on it as I'm at the counter or something. I'm just not a trusting person in that way. You know, so if something's valuable to you, you don't let it out of your sight. You protect it. You keep it. How much more with the things that God wants to give to us or what he has given to us? You know, those words of faith or those promises or those things that he's asked us to do and to walk in the blessings he's given to us, that we're to keep them and protect them. You know, we're instructed as believers in Proverbs 23 and verse 23, we're to buy the truth and sell it not. We're to obtain the truth from God 
and not let that go. Now, practically, that means the things that he gives to us, we walk in them. We appreciate them. We love them. We do it. We don't like discard it and just, you know, oh, well, God spoke that thing to me, but I'll just leave it over there and I'll do what seems good in my sight. That's selling it. That's not valuing it. It's not keeping it and loving it. So what we obtain from God, we are to protect and hold on to with a firm grip. Some things in life, we need a light grip. God might say, well, let's focus on something else. And okay, Lord. But the things he gives to us, we have to lay hold upon them. Of course, that's what Paul said to his spiritual son, Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 18. It says, those that do good and those that are be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, they're laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You see, there's things we can do and focus on, like showing love and charity and kindness, being Christ-like towards others, investing in the lives of others for the sake of Christ, and when we do that, it's like we're strengthening our grip on eternity. It's like, we're, it's like eternity becomes more real to us. We've invested in it. There's value in it because we've given ourselves to it. You know, Israel's problem in the wilderness is that God set them free from Egypt miraculously. Right? We know all the things he did, all the miracles he did and in Egypt, and then he's you know, divided the Red Sea, and they passed through that. And they saw the miracles on, the, on Mount Sinai and experienced them in the wilderness. But, you know, it's, it's like the effect of, of them seeing those miracles just kind of wore off so quickly. Because they would see a miracle, and that, they, that would kind of fade away, and all they'd do is think about Egypt. Boy, we had everything we needed in Egypt. Egypt was so fun. It's amazing how you look back and somehow you forget all the bad things and you just remember the good things. At least when, when, when there's things you want from that. Like, oh, I wish I had something like the good old days. They forgot they were in bondage and getting whipped and had to make bricks. And if they didn't make the bricks, they were in trouble. And, but somehow they always just looked back to what they thought they didn't have. They didn't hold on to what God was offering them, what he was giving them to them, giving to them at that moment and the glorious promise that he was giving to them that they were to enter into, the promised land. They could never lay hold on that as a whole generation. And so they perished in the wilderness. We want to lay hold on what God wants to do in this season and in our lives and in our church Lay hold upon those things. Lay hold upon his kingdom, eternal life. Now, we can go back to the story of Naomi and Ruth and see another vivid example, right? Because this time we're going to look at Ruth because when Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law, that she's going back to Israel, they said, well, we'll they both said, we're going to come with you, right? We're, we'll, we'll go with you. We'll follow you. But you know, Naomi said, no, you stay here and you need to build your own life. I can't offer you a life, you know, going back to Israel. I have nothing to give. I can't, can't marry my sons or anything and no sons to give. 
And this was what happened. Ruth 1 and verse 14. Then they, the two daughters, they lifted up their voice and they wept. You know, they were sorry. They loved Naomi. But Orpha kissed her mother-in-law and then she went off. But Ruth clung to her. The word clung means to catch by pursuit, to follow hard, to be joined, to stick, to cling with a good grip. And so Orpha kissed Naomi and just left. Ruth clung to her. And in a spiritual sense, it's, it's not enough to just kind of kiss the Lord and speak well of him. He wants those who will cleave to him and follow hard after him and lay hold on eternal life, to lay hold on the promises that he wants to, to give to them, to lay hold on the things he wants to develop in their lives and character and heart. You know, many great men and women of faith that we can read of in the scriptures, they displayed this same characteristic. It's like they had an ability to lay hold, to hold on tight to the Lord in the midst of great difficulty. Through storms, through long trials, somehow they were able to hold on and not let go. You know, I kind of marvel. I just taught the book of Daniel, and I still marvel at his life, how he was, you know, he probably started off in a good family, right? He had good upbringing. He had an impartation of, of the law and the ways of God, and he kept to that all of his life. But at a young age, he was taken captive and put in a strange land with, you know, foreigners, and probably they weren't nice, and he was commanded to do this and that. And he continued in that for 70, over 75 years. That was his ministry, the ministry of captivity for 75 years. And he never, you know, he never saw a change until the very end. And he saw, you know, as the scriptures indicate, he was alive when King Cyrus proclaimed the release of the captivity when the Jews could go back and rebuild the temple. Well, what a long ministry. How would you like that ministry? <laughs> the ministry of captivity. But he laid hold upon something in God and didn't let go. And of course, the Lord said, Daniel, you're going to stand in your appointed place when I come again because he laid hold upon the Lord. I want to close this message by just considering just one, one last thought from a chapter in Isaiah. This has kind of been going over my spirit for a while. and I think it also encapsulates this, this message. And so Isaiah 49, he's describing his ministry to Israel, how he's labored. And this has several representations. It speaks about it, Isaiah personally, but also about Israel being restored, but also the church as well. So we can be instructed in this too. And so Isaiah describing his ministry to Israel, he's labored, but has seen limited fruit. And perhaps what he even saw has diminished. You know, they've kind of stopped really paying attention and appreciating the word of the Lord that he's given. Isaiah 49.2, it says, He's made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand has he hidden me, and made me a polished shaft, and his quiver has he hid me. Of course, this is prophetic of Christ, how Christ was formed as an arrow, and he was put into the quiver and hidden until the day he was shot out by the Father 
to hit the mark of the cross. But you know, there is a season of being hidden in the quiver without much fruit coming forth. And we say, Lord, I thought you had a plan for me and you wanted to do something in me and, you know, produce good fruit in me. Lord, what, why is there a season, a long season of inactivity? Isaiah felt that. Also verse four, he said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain. And yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with God. So the prophet is maybe he's feeling a little discouraged at the lack of response to the message you know, of proclaiming the word of the Lord faithfully, maybe going through a season of loss or barrenness, but he's trusting. His reward is not lost. It's there in heaven. But then we begin to see a change take place. There's a turning of the seasons. I thank God for that, that there is a turning. There's a change of seasons that God brings us into. Verse 8, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I've helped you. I will preserve you. I will give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth and to cause them to inherit the desolate heritage. And so there's an acceptable time, there's an appointed season for the day of salvation to cause his people to inherit once what was once empty is now full. Then the one last verse, well, actually two last verses. Verse 18, lift up your eyes, look around and see all these gather together and come to you as I live, says the Lord. You shall surely clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. Now the increase is coming. Now there's a response. Now the Lord is blessing and building up. And it's, you know, as a response to this message, people are gathering around and he's clothed as an ornament like a beautiful bride. And then finally, this statement, verse 20, as the the children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, the place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. And so as I said, Isaiah is speaking this, but it's prophetic of Israel, how Israel is going to be you know, restored unto the Lord in the last days. And it's going to be, there's, there's going to be such a restoration that people are going to say, this, is, this place is too small. We need to expand this because the whole earth is coming to celebrate the feasts of the Lord because the Lord is in his temple. But, you know, even before that, we can be encouraged because as a church, this will be fulfilled. That the glory of God is going to come upon his people in such a way that people are going to come to, to, to the churches saying, we, we want to hear the Lord. We want to meet with him. This place is too small. You guys need to get a bigger place so we can all fit in here. But you know, it also speaks to us of our lives. That sometimes we go through seasons of where God says, I need to take. And we give. And we let go. And we say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender to you. But there's a change of season. If we will hold on to him, and to the promises, and we'll seek him, God will bring us into that season where he gives, where he enriches, where he blesses, and he builds us up in this life, yes, but the most important is in eternity, that we'll have a glorious inheritance. We'll have a nice house waiting for us too. If we'll keep our eyes upon him, 
and wait upon him. What was lost for Isaiah? The promise was, it will be restored. There's a second crop. In fact, the next generation says, we need a bigger place. We need an expansion. It speaks of an overwhelmingly great harvest, a great increase. The promises that is for Israel, the promises for his church, and the promises for his people. And so we can take courage in whatever season we're in. He has a plan and a purpose. And we want to say, Lord, help me to flow with that. Lord, if it's a time to let go, help me to let go. Show me what you want me to. We don't just let go willy-nilly, but Lord, what do you want me to surrender to you so that I can be fruitful and see increase? And if we'll hold on to him and his direction and his leading, we're laying hold on eternal life and on the promises of the kingdom, of the fullness of all that he wants to do within us. And his promise is he will make everything beautiful in his season. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your wonderful plan and your purpose. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you're always doing something new. Lord, that you have a new season for us. Lord, and we recognize you want to do something unique in each season that we're in. And so, Lord, we're just seeking you today. Lord, give us an awareness, Lord, of, of what you want to do in our midst in this season. Lord, Lord, we ask that you would even give us a sense of value, Lord, that we would, we would treasure the work you want to do in our lives and in, in our church in this season. Oh God, we just invite you to come. Do that work. Lord, even if there's a diminishing, we're believing that, that there's going to come a season of increase. Lord, that you're going to work in a mighty way in our lives and in your church. Oh Lord, we, we believe for a mighty harvest and a mighty increase, Lord, of what you're going to do. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.